Good. Good morning, everybody. So as Andy said, I'm Darren, and this is my wife, Marie, and uh, we serve on the eldership team here at uh, Oceanside, and uh, there are a lot of you that we don't really know because we've kind of been out of circulation for the last year, and uh, the reason for that was that our son was diagnosed with leukemia in uh, November last year, and um, we've both been incredibly blessed to grow up in families that have instilled biblical principles in both of our lives. Um, And I say that because I felt like, well, I'll get into more of that, but I say that because there's a lot of stuff that I felt in the last year that I had as head knowledge. If you had asked me a lot of things on a theological level, I'd be able to give you the answers. And um, the amazing thing is that I feel that God has changed things that were head knowledge for me into heart knowledge. And so this that's kind of our introduction is um, I think that's what God's really taken us on a journey with this last year. And that's the title of our preach this morning is transformation and trials. And we've just really felt God has transformed things that were, that were good things, that were biblical truths, but really kind of stopped at the head. And I feel that he's been massaging and cementing things in our hearts. And with that being said, I don't want, um, I, think, I think our heart is not to come across as if we've got all the answers or that we've arrived because that is by no means true. I stand every Sunday that we kind of worship and have such fantastic worship. I feel the devil throw lies at me all the time. I doubt um, about things and I don't think that's wrong. I think that that's being human. But I do feel that when those things happen, I'm to cast my eyes on Jesus. And, I, and like I say, I would have said that very glibly a year ago. And I would have said that to some of you if we had sat across from you in a counseling time. But I have, we've been through a bit of a fire this year. And I think that those things are starting to settle in our hearts. And so that's kind of what we want to share on this morning. But not out of a position of what well, we know and we've got all the answers. But more that God's taking us on a journey. And I hope that some of what we share this morning will will be things that will help you going ahead because God is all about us reaching maturity and what he's got for us, you know? So uh, I just want to make sure I haven't missed anything here, Uh, but I'd then like to jump into my first point. And the first thing I wanted to share on, the first point is titled From Exemption to Engagement. And um, there's an incredible facility in Vancouver. I'm sure most of you have heard about it, but there is a, a, there's a really nice house right on BC Children's Hospital property called Ronald McDonald that we had no idea about un- until we were living in it. And um, it's just an incredible concept of families that are going through hard times uh, living together. We share, we share four kitchens. How many families are there about, babe, I think? They're like 75 rooms, and so families filling those rooms, and, and most people are going through really tough times. And so we, we sat there, and um, you feel like a deer in the headlights when you first come into the home. And it's funny because you meet people that have been there for a while, and they're kind of experienced, and they show you the ropes, and you start to build, build relationship with people. And I don't know why, but there were a ton of Christians in that house. And uh, I remember sitting there with some of them at lunch, and I, and I said to the one guy, the one guy's a, a pastor up in, um, in um, Smithers, and I looked at him, and I said to him, Mark, I said, what the heck? I said, why are there so many of us here? I thought we'd get a free pass on stuff like this, you know? Like, there's quite a, quite a 
big proportion of Christians in this house. And um, as much as it was a joke and we kind of laughed about it, it was something that niggled in my heart for a while. And um, our girls started to ask us questions. And even Tristan started to ask questions as to, like, I felt, I felt we were justified in not getting sick, you know? Like, we, we, we've moved to Nanaimo uh, to be part of Oceanside predominantly because we feel God's called us here. We want to see the city come to know Jesus. We want to impact the nations. I felt like saying, God, like, what, like, how, how's this, why am I, why am I seven-year-old, you know, why not so-and-so's, and I struggled with that for a couple of weeks, and I really felt um, God lay two scriptures on my heart, the one is Romans 5.12, I'm going to turn, because if I open my Bible, there'll be like 300 bookmarks that fall out, so I'm going to read it off the screen to you guys, so it says there, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. And um, I just shared with our, with our kids as well, is I, I think I knew all of this, but I had to process it, right? Is that, um, sorry, let me, let me read Genesis 3.22 to you guys as well, and then I'll, I'll chat about this point. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And I really wrestled with this as a Christian. I thought, geez, it's not fair. You know, we, we love him, we serve him, we're called. And yet our son has a potentially life-ending disease, right? And um, I just felt God just put these two scriptures on my heart and massage them on me that and I spoke to a friend who had lost a daughter to leukemia and he said to me right at the beginning man and I remember just crying on the phone to him you know and he said to me right at the beginning of his he says I want to tell you one thing Darren he says God is good and that has that was it was like an arrow to my heart that held me fast for the rest of the year and does today and I want to say to you church God is good he is a good father. And these scriptures, if, if, I, I, if I have any inclination of the father heart of God, his heart is not that we suffer, not that we die. His heart that, was, that we live with him for eternity in communion in paradise. And man made the decision in original sin to sin. And as a result of that, creation started to unravel. And so not only do we die spiritually without Jesus, but our, our bodies start to... Um, you know, degrade. And, uh, and that's something that I struggled with. And we shared that with our kids. And I think our kids have a good understanding of that is that, and I think why I want to share with you that as my first point is that I don't think we're justified in any, in any way to hold a fist at God and say, why God? I don't deserve this, right? And I'm not saying it's because of any sin in my life or Tristan's life. I can't explain why certain people get leukemia, but I know that death and disease are consequences of original sin. And I I think that sets us free if we see it that way. God is all powerful and at any stage could come down and heal and take away those things. And he does choose to sometimes. But I don't think we, as a people of God, if we live in the freedom that this is, this is not a curse, this is not a chance, this is not a God thing, this is a sin thing. And that's really just set me free. And I, and I think some of us here today need to hear that. What's become head knowledge has to become heart knowledge, that he is a good God. He is for my son. He is for my son. And he is for us, you know? And on that note, I'm going to hand over to Marie for the second point. Got this one. (laughs) So our second point is control to to submission, and we are so we are called to make Jesus our Lord and our Savior. 
then I think it's easier to make him our savior because all of us want to be rescued from horrible and scary things. So that's quite easy, but um, to make him our Lord is, is quite a different matter. So it means that we acknowledge that he has all authority on heaven and earth. So here we give him full control that he is our only sovereign king. And um, by that, we also mean that we are willing to submit to him and obey, obey him. Now, I just wanted to read Luke 6, 46 to 49. So, so why isn't the foolish builders? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it, because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and destruction was complete. So it's when these real storms come is when uh, what, uh, what we're building, um, uh, that when these storms come is, is when our foundations are tested and what we are building will not stand if it's not completely rooted in him as our sovereign king. And um, we got to a place where we just had no option, but we had to, to think, what, what is our foundation? Um, and that is, is our Lord. Without him, it would be impossible to do this. I, I remember thinking, how do people who don't have God do this? I really don't know. Um, I remember being given Tristan's diagnosis and then also later on when they did the um, cytogenetics, looked at his genetic testing and, and then we found out that, oh, now he doesn't just have leukemia but he's got this rare aggressive type. Um, I remember at times when I was with him in hospital and he was just in, in such agony that he was absolutely inconsolable. I couldn't, he wouldn't let me touch him. You... You sit there as a mother, you don't know what to do. Like you almost just want to walk out that room and block your ears. And, and uh, as a mother, I remember feeling so absolutely helpless. There's nothing you can do. And um, Darren is a physician. And at that point, he couldn't do anything, and he still can't do anything. Um, when I give Tristanese, still give Tristanese his medication, that is a regular reminder that um, Tristan's not just on the standard protocol like you read, or it's not just the high-risk um, high protocol, but he's on a very high-risk protocol. And uh, if you think about that in the natural, it's, it's pretty scary. Like, a lot can, can go wrong. Like, even the, with the chemotherapy and everything that he's getting, there's absolutely no guarantees. Um, and the doctors are very quick to tell you that. There are no, there are no guarantees. Um, so I don't know about you, church, but I like to be in control. It's, it's terrible to sit there and you, you can't do anything and you have to let somebody else take the, take the reins. But only by the Holy Spirit, um, I believe I was able to say that, Jesus, you are a sovereign Lord. Um, you take control. We can't do anything. And... Um, you were not surprised by any of this. You knew this was going to happen. And you are a good God. You are good, no matter what the outcome. And we are always loved. And I also just wanted to read Habakkuk 3, verse 17 to 18. 
Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the, on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in my, in my Saviour. And I believe this comes from a place of complete submission, um, that nothing in the natural um, adds up, that in the natural things don't look good, but just by submitting to God is where we can say that you have good plans for us. And I think that is where God wants us. Then also Joseph references um, in Genesis 50 verse 20, um, when, he, when he was speaking to his brothers, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And often God uses evil things where Satan um, has, has evil plans for us. He, 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 he turns it and brings good out of it. Um, and then also that results into blessing and um, that otherwise couldn't have been. And that, the end, also brings glory to him. And we've also seen in this year, looking back, that it wasn't, just, it wasn't just all terrible. We had some amazing times in this year. And um, also, just, it was just amazing to see how God works through, um, through the situation, how um, like just so many people were touched like all over the world um, because, because of this. And um, I just marvel at, at him. And um, the, the kids, Tristan's actually uh, learning this memory, memory verse at school this week. And I thought, how, um, how well it fits into what we are sharing on, on this morning. Um, the verse that he is he's learning is, God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. And isn't it true, like, when things don't look good, that he does marvelous things? That's beyond our understanding. And the third point um, for God just laying in our hearts was a, a, from going from a place of independence to dependence. And I just want to read, and I wanted to just say, Andy shared the scripture in, um, in, the, in the prayer meeting this morning, which is so cool because it feels like it's really a, a confirmation of what the Holy Spirit's wanting to say and do this morning, you know. And uh, I didn't text him my notes because he's not on the... Uh, he's not on the uh, the booth this morning so there's no so there was no heads up but this is the scripture it's 2 Corinthians 12 verses 9 to 10 and it says and Paul says uh, but it says but, but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For, not, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And um, it's easy to say that, man. It's easy to read that scripture and go over it, right? But I tell you, when your son is, when your son, when you've been told your son could die and uh, cancer can come back and those kind of things, it's tough to live in that place, right? And um, I really felt, I, I, I think I'm more of a type A personality and I like to be in control and this is kind of my, this is my gig. It wasn't a law issue. It's a, it's a medical issue. So I, I, I didn't need to phone Brian. It was, it was, this is, this is my alley, right? And we understand the implications of these diseases. And it was always something that had been somebody else's problem. I was the person telling people about cancer diagnoses. And, and so it affected me and, um, and, and my independence. I, I, I remember sitting opposite the uh, 
pediatric oncologist, and uh, she she was they they're incredible there, you know. And uh, she sat opposite us, and she gave us Tristan's diagnosis, treatment plan, prognosis. And um, I remember sitting there, my mind's like turning over, like a, I don't know, like, and I'm thinking, I said to her, well, you know, Jess, I said, what, 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 what can I do? Like, can I, you know, can we, if we, if we sell our house, are there, are there, is there treatment in the, in the States, right? Like, is there, is there something, is there something we can do? Do we sell our house? Do I work harder? Do I, is there stuff that we can research? Can I go online and, and look for stuff? And I remember her just looking at us um, in such a sweet way. And she just said to me, she said, there's, there's nothing you can do. There's, um, he will get everything that man can give him here. And thank God for that. Like, I'm so glad I live in Canada. Um, and, and, and I remember sitting there thinking, in, in human terms, there's nothing I can do. And uh, it's a terrible feeling. Like I, and I, and I some, some still process that. I think, well, what if we hadn't done that? You know, if we had, if we had lived this way, you know, could we, have, could we have averted Tristan developing leukemia? And I really felt in my heart, like, I know you wouldn't say so because I'm smiley most of the time, but I think I'm quite a fighter like I, I don't give in easily like and um and I've and I've really felt in preparing for this preach I think that's what surrender is it feels like I'm giving up but it's not really giving up it's surrendering to God you know and it's a hard place to come to I I, I tell you because because I like to fight I like to be in control I'm trying to claw back things all the time even with him going back to school I'm thinking how can we prevent him getting infections how can we you know and I honestly feel like it just tires me out I've had to I've had to just come to a place of surrender and say, God, you know, I can't keep, I can't keep infectious diseases from my son. You know, I can't, I can't guarantee that this cancer doesn't come back. You know, I've got to rest in him. And, uh, and so I just feel like God's just been showing me that. And, and, I, and I hope that becomes evident to all of you. Is like, we are so not in control. Like we, have, we are living at a time where medicine and, and life is probably at the best that it has ever been, right? But we are not in control. I can't, I can't guarantee a breath in myself. I can't guarantee I'm not going to have a heart attack this week. And I'm a doc, right? And I try and stay healthy. And I've seen that happen in colleagues that are healthy. We can't guarantee a thing. And so I really felt God shifting my vision from this place of independence. I've got it. Freedom 55, 65, 75 maybe. And that I don't have control of that. None of us do. We do not, right? We are not independent beings. We are dependent on a God. And when Tristan was first diagnosed, I let the group of docs that I work with know, and the head of our department came over to me, and uh, he met well, but he spoke such negativity over me. He said three things to me. He said, I think you should take a break from work. He said, your production's going to decline. Like, so we look at how many patients we see in a shift. He said, you're going to see less patients. You're going to have a lot less grace for the stub toes that are complaining about their wait times. And he said, you're probably going to miss big pathology. And it came at me and I thought, geez, maybe he's right, you know, like they're going to have a lot less grace if I've been warned and I do miss things. And uh, I can't afford not to work. And... Um, but I remember being struck by that and I really felt God, I just remember calling out to him on my way to work some nights where I've been alone looking after the girls and we had people in this church that have been so supportive, like babysitting for us. So I've looked after my girls and now I'm heading to do a night shift. I remember just calling out to him, Lord, I just need your wisdom tonight. Like I can't, I can't do this in my own strength, you know? And, uh, and I tell you, church, it feels lame. And I, and, I, and I had that in my head. I thought, oh yeah, he's my strength when I'm weak. But I tell you, I was weak. And as far as I know, I haven't missed any big pathology, but we've got some other docs here, like uh, nephrologists that might tell you otherwise. 
and my productivity did increase. And I can attest that God has held us this year. It's been hard, but we have done well, you know? And what Marie shared is true. Like, I don't look back on this last year and say, oh, and I don't want you guys to get that feeling either. My, my hesitancy in sharing this morning was, this is not a party pooper preach. Like, oh, shame, poor us. No, we have come out stronger. And that's how, what we want to encourage you guys is that we live in a place of dependence and uncertainty still. There are no guarantees. We believe our son is healed, but there is a chance that it comes back. But we do not live in that place. Our eyes are on him, you know, and he is in control. <clears throat> And so I want to encourage you. I think it's as simple as just calling out. Like, like I did that out loud in the car, you know. I just said, Lord, I can't do this. Holy Spirit, I need you, you know. And I think he, I, I know he comes and he sees us through. So I encourage you, church, to lean on him in difficult situations. I'm going to go on to my fourth point. And it's, uh, it's titled, From the Ordinary to Extraordinary. And I want to read quite a long scripture to you guys. Um, it's out of Psalm 78, but I want to give you the prelude to it. So as Marie <coughs> referenced, we were told that Tristan had a higher risk of uh, relapse going ahead. And so in the first few weeks and months, they were just talking about doing a bone marrow transplant. And to be honest, it's a very specialized part of medicine. Like people think, I know, I didn't know how to learn a lot of this stuff. But I thought, oh yeah, whatever, we'll do a bone marrow transplant, you know, bring it on, we'll, we'll just do it. And, and, we, and, and, and then the, the reality of that, when we saw other kids in the house that had, had these things done and the complications and the risks started to, started to come home to roost, and we just didn't feel easy about it. We, were, we, were, we didn't want it for Tristan. It has implications that are personal. And so I don't want to share with you guys all of that to spare him. But, but it's, not, it's not necessarily the best plan. You know, if it results in him living, then, then that's the best plan. But, um, and so I struggled with that. I wrestled with it. And the docs were, some of the, some of the other docs were quite glib about it. They would say to Marie, Marie was with Tristan for most of the part. And they were just like, oh yeah, he's got this. Yeah, he's, he's no, no questions asked. He's going to have a bone marrow transplant. And Marie phoned me on the Monday night and was just in tears about this. And we didn't want this for our boy, you know. And, uh, and it was just like a, as I'm saying it right, a fate accompli. It was kind of like this is just going to happen. And uh, so the Monday night we spoke and Marie, uh, and Marie was just pouring out her heart and we were both kind of in tears. And I think it was the night before that I had read the Psalm 78. And I want to read this to you quickly and then I'll finish the story. Uh, bear with me but I think that it, it bears reading. So it's Psalm 78, verses 12 to 16. And I'm taking things out of context, but Dr. Manfredi said it was okay. So <clears throat> He did miracles in the sight. So this is a Psalm of Asaph, and he's writing to the people of Israel to remind them, right? He says, he did miracles in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the region of Zoan. He divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand firm like a wall. He guided them with the cloud by day and with light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the desert and gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made waters, water flow down like rivers. And then I'm going to jump to 23 and go down to 29. 
Yet he gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors of heavens. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Men ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. They're in a desert. He sent them all the food they could eat. He let loose the east wind from the heavens and led forth the south wind by his power. He rained meat down on them like dust, flying birds like sand on the seashore. We read over that stuff. Can you imagine flying birds like sea on the, on the seashore. He made them come down inside their camp. They didn't have to go walk even. All around their tents, they ate till they had more than enough for he had given them what they craved. And then down to 43. The day he displayed his miraculous signs in Egypt, his wonders in the region of Zoan, he turned their rivers to blood. They could not drink from their streams. The, the civilization of the world at that time, right? The greatest civilization that had been seen, he, he brought to its knees. He sent swarms of flies that devoured them and frogs that devastated them. He gave their crops to the grasshopper, their produce to the locusts. He destroyed their vines and hail with hail and their sycamore figs with sleet. He gave over their cattle to the hail, their livestock to bolts of lightning. He unleashed against them his hot anger, his wrath, indignation, and hostility. And I really just felt God say that to me. I think, and I know in my life that I've seen God do things. And when I read that, I felt him say to me, I've always wondered about Israel. I look at Israel and I think, what a bunch of palookas. How could you have walked through the Red Sea and have forgotten so quickly? And I felt God say to me, you have forgotten so quickly. And we stood there you guys are lucky I've got this far without getting tearful. Um, And I sat there that night and I felt God say to me, you know what, who do you serve? I have rained down quail in a desert. I have parted the Red Sea. I have provided for a million people in a desert for 40 years. I've raised up a nation. He says, I am still that God. And that night, I lie not to you, that night at nine o'clock, the oncologist phones us and it had just been Christmas and she says to me, oh, she says, Darren, I'm sorry to disturb you so late. She says, and I've been away over Christmas. She says, I just got news for you. And I thought, oh, what news has she got for me? She has never phoned us before and she has not phoned us since. And she said, um, she said, I have been consulting with some specialists in the United States. She said, I emailed two of the big gurus with this, like that, that look after this kind of subtype of leukemia. And she said, I've had emails back from both of them stating that they would in no way recommend we proceed with, bone marrow, with a bone marrow transplant on Tristan, right? And you know, <laughs> I tell you, church, that's not a, like we, I sometimes listen to Mike talk about Debs. In the natural, for Debs to have two liver transplants, in the natural for my son, my son is the first child at BC Kids not to undergo a bone marrow transplant that should have undergone a bone marrow transplant because of, because of um, research that has come out in the last year. And she says that to me. She says, well, we lo- it looks really hopeful and we think all of these things. And this is based on new stuff coming out. I thought, wow, a year ago, no questions asked, he would have had a bone marrow transplant. Two years ago, he would have had a bone marrow transplant. And I thought, wow. And I've been wanting to share that with you guys because that is no, that is no, short, that is no short order. That is miraculous. And I, we had all of this stuff. And I actually said to her, I don't believe she's a believer because she went very quiet. I said, Jess, I said, we have been praying. And I said, I felt the Holy Spirit just lay this on my heart that we were not gonna have a bone marrow transplant, that the chemotherapy would be successful, our son would be restored. And she went very awkwardly quiet, you know. But, um, 
But I just want to attest that our God is good, you know. And that doesn't mean that I don't have doubts, guys. I, I, Abraham had doubts. All the fathers, all they had doubts. But they continued to look to him, right? And so this is not a power. I still have doubts. I still struggle with things. I'm not there. I haven't arrived. But I encourage us, we've got to look to God because it revolutionized the way we live. I'm not fearful anymore. Tristan was diagnosed in Mexico where nobody speaks English. They phoned us and told us maybe we should see a hematologist. He was close to death. We got on a plane that night. If I wasn't medical, I don't know that we would have made it out there with all three children. And that is like a fear that if we go to Vancouver, go to Mexico, I'm like, oh, I hope nobody gets gastro. Well, our son had something that was way worse than gastro. And God provided a way out. We were out on a flight within three hours. And we were back in Vancouver at one of the best places that we could be, you know. And so I attest to that, that we can't let fear paralyze us. And even now I feel, should we stop stepping out? Because this is something that the devil wants to come at us with a roaring lion. Is he going to come after one of my other kids, right? We cannot live in a place like that. God has called us on. And even if he does come after someone else in our family, God is still good and greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And I'm starting to believe that more than just have it as head knowledge. Okay, I've got to give my wife the mic because I'm going to... Over to you, babe. <laughs> so our fifth point is momentary to, to eternity. And I just wanted to start off by reading the scripture out of um, 2 Corinthians um, 4, 16 to 18. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, But on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And remember, um, when Tristan got sick, when he got back from Mexico, um, Darren took Tristan into the emergency room and the girls and I went to a hotel. So I only saw Tristan um, in hospital that next morning. And as I walked in there, I was just um, at loss of words. I didn't know what to say to him. I just looked at him and said, my boy... And he could just see the worry in my eyes. He looked me straight into the eyes. He's got such an an understanding of things. And he said, Mom, don't worry. If I die, I'll be with Jesus. And if I don't, I'll be with you. Just as plainly as that. And I thought, wow. You know, that he is completely at peace with this reality. It really challenged me in my faith. Like, how can a little boy say something like that? And, um, and it made me, me think, is life on earth really better than, than eternity? Um, is that something that is established in our hearts or, or is that just head knowledge? Um, we are no different to the unsaved if we are holding on to life uh, white-knuckled. And I really don't say, say this just lightly. It would be very hard for me to, to lose somebody that I, that I love. And... Um, I think the hardest part of this is that it, this is still a reality for us. I mean, Tristan is looking so good now. His hair's grown and he looks pretty healthy. But the reality is that um, things can still change very quickly for us. And, um, and that is really something that I have to lay down literally on a daily basis, um, that God is still in control um, we can even see in our girls that they have a better understanding of living in, in terms of eternity now, um, which is amazing to see. And um, they are so secure in, in God's love for them. And we only see things from, from a human perspective. God sees 
um, the big picture, the, the eternal picture uh, that we don't see. And are, are we so comfortable and complacent um, that we feel life with Jesus, eternity with Jesus, pales in comparison to what we have here on earth? Um, then we are missing out on a truth that is meant to revolutionize the way we live and that um, set us up for eternal rewards. So we haven't arrived yet. I think we, we still have struggles and we still have questions at times, but I think we have a better understanding of what it is to live um, in terms of eternity, that there is, that we are dependent on him and um, we have a hope behind this life. We all have a hope behind, behind our struggles. And I encourage you in that as well. Awesome. Yeah. Thank Thanks you very much. much. That's about it. We're going to have a couple of little masks. Um... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, we'll get. I'm going to ask um, Darren and Marie and some of the people to come pray for people. We know many people are going through trials and tribulations, and um, you know, it's amazing how God works. Um, the first time I met Darren, he was about five or six years old, I think, eh? Maybe, but yeah. And at our home in South Africa, his dad led an NCMI church. And he has we together in Canada on team. And it's just amazing how these things happen, um, these relationships. And, um, yeah, we are a people that do believe that God does heal, that God is a God of love, mercy, and grace. But I love what Marie finished on there because two of the scriptures uh, that helped Deborah and I, who was, you know, like, as I said, has had two liver transplants and... Um, is on some pretty hectic medication. And um, one of the things is um, when the, she was diagnosed, and I'm not going to speak for too long, but just um, I found one of my mentors, Dudley, Dudley Daniel, and he was Daniel's in, in Australia. We had just been told 2006 she had six months to live, and that's another story. But I was leading this church, and I was on the apostolic team at the time. And I phoned him, and he led the team. I said, Dudley, what should I do? Should I hand over the church and focus on this? And should I um, uh, step off this team and stop traveling? And he said this to me. He said, I can't tell you what to do. Only God can. And whatever you decide, some of the most incredible words ever spoken to me, we will be with you and stand by you. You need to make that decision. But he said, this is one thing I want to tell you. You have an inheritance and it's worth fighting for. And it was like a light switch for Deborah and I from this fear and that say, no, we are going to go out in victory. We're going to live this life. And that's now uh, many, many years ago. And God has been gracious to us. But there's a scripture, I just want to read one scripture because I'd love us to pray for people that are going through situations. 
And one of the things that I realized in going through trials and being a pastor and being through many trials with people for many years and being unfortunately in palliative care more times than uh, I would ever want to um, with people, um, that no issue, no issue is not a big issue to the person who's going through it. So we can hear, and what I want to say this is we can think, well, geez, I haven't had leukemia or I haven't had a transplant and, and so on, and therefore what I'm going through is not important. No, we have a God, a heavenly Father who loves us and is intimately concerned about us and wants to partner with us uh, in these things. So there's, you know, the enemy wants to create a circumstance that becomes bigger than God in our lives. And we can say, well, hey, man, I'm worried about this and it's not good. Therefore, we never bring it to God or we never, never get prayer for it. And that's one of the strategies, I believe, of the enemy. And we see this in Paul's life uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's from verse 8. I just want to read this. And this is a, a scripture that revolutionized my life with, with Deborah while I was sitting next to her bedside and read this. And it says this here, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. I mean, many of us have been through these circumstances. This is the great Apostle Paul. Indeed, in our hearts, we even felt the sentence of death. He was going through some serious trials. He doesn't expand on them, but to the point um, of feeling like giving up. And he says this, but then God showed me something. And this is the key. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And the journey that Darren and explained, and we've all gone, I've been through and others like us, is the biggest journey we have for our life is from the head to the heart. This is the longest journey there. As Darren said, you can have the head knowledge. And this journey from reliance on ourselves to reliance on God, self-reliance to God, reliance. And this is what Paul was saying. Actually, even in my life, this happened for a purpose so that I would not continue to rely on myself, but on God who raises the dead. And then he says this, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and on him uh, and he will, um, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help out by your prayers. And this is the thing that really caught my attention because he talks about the prayer of many. Then when many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayer of many. The one thing about the, when many people are praying, like for Tristan or Deborah or other people, and God comes through, and as Marie says, not everybody uh, lives through this, the illness, but the goal of their faith is actually the salvation of the soul. We're all going to go through that process at one stage and, um, and, and so on. But the prayer of many, while I was remembering the people praying for us in the church and so on, and I had this picture of people all over praying for us and lifting these burdens up and God getting all the glory because it wasn't one person. 
They could say, we prayed for Tristan or we prayed for Deborah. It was the prayer of many. And I believe that's one of the things that the enemy wants to do. It could be addictions. It could be stuff like Heather was going through or any of those things. And he wants to isolate us. And so it's either not big enough or it's too big or I'm full of shame and so on. But actually, God intended that we would not only rely on ourselves but Him, but also the body of Christ. And and so I want to encourage you today. Um, uh, in, I knew this was going to be spoken about. And while I was thinking of praying about this, for a time for us to pray with you. If you are dealing with things, and you might say, well, it's nothing like that. But if it is causing you stress and anxiety, and if it is becoming bigger than God in your life, then we want to pray with you as a body, as a body of Christ. And I know time is coming, and if you've got children, please bring them back in. If they're the ones that need prayer, please um, um, please bring them to the front. But I think this is a key time for us to pray for people and and to combine our faith with them to believe God for breakthroughs, whether it's financial breakthroughs, um, relational breakthroughs. God knows them all, and He is the answer for them. If anything, He will walk us through those trials. Uh, but we'll, we'll believe that he'll, He will heal and set people free today. Amen? Amen.